you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 51. 51. I am Chris <laughs> Honeywell and I'm here as always with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> I liked that. That's what I just think now every time I'm going to hear that. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> just one of the many Scott Gardner sound bites that he can just spit out at will. <laughs> I keep saying, pretty soon you're not going to even need me to show up. Oh, exactly. I'll just be a soundboard somewhere. Who's to, who's to say I'm not a soundboard already? That's true. I'm pushing the button that says who's to say right now. <laughs> 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 Pay no attention to that swirly guy with glasses behind the <laughs> curtain. So, here we are at the penultimate... Mm-hmm. episode for coverage regular coverage of uh, marvel comics Star i was actually Wars. like betting in my mind how long it would take you to say penultimate and ultimate before me i like big words i planned yes. on saying penultimate but i was gonna see if you said it first <laughs> but yeah this well you know it's kind of a misnomer because yes you know this will you know next episode will be uh you know we'll be covering episode or rather, issue. God, I can't even form a sentence tonight. I sound like you. Um, <laughs> next episode, we I will be... enunciate my worms. <laughs> we will be covering issue 107, which was the final issue of Marvel Comics Star Wars. And that will bring uh, an end to our coverage. However, we There's have a little bit of cleanup. Yeah, that's a, that's a perfect way to say it. Cleanup. We have some cleanup to do. So there are a couple annuals, uh, annuals one and two we have not yet uh, spoke about, so we'll be doing those, and we will be covering the Marvel uh, UK Star Wars titles uh, or issues 
that you know were unique to that imprint because there were a, a number of stories. I'm not off the top of my head. I'm not sure how many stories there were, but there were you know this is a decent There's a amount because they came out weekly. So normally what they would do is they would take one of our issues, break it down a little finer, so your average issue would last, I don't know, what, two, three of their issues, something like that. Um, but still, even with doing it that way, they still had to create original content in order to run as long as it, it ran. So there are stories that are original to the Marvel UK imprint, we want to cover that stuff. So that'll be Including, down the road, there's an, Alan, there's an Alan Moore story or two? A, cu- a couple of them, yeah. They were reprinted by Dark Horse a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think it was a two-issue miniseries, I think, called uh, Star Wars Devil Worlds, I think. Devil Worlds, yes. Yeah. And uh, go- covers on those are gorgeous because the covers were were new. They were original to uh, to the Dark Horse printing, so the covers are fantastic. Don't really have anything to do with the stories inside. The stories inside are bizarre. I mean, you know, and you know, you can make the joke that well, of course they are. They're Alan Moore, but I mean, they're bizarre even for Alan Moore. They're they're really strange. But I'm looking forward to covering them because I've read them and I. I enjoyed them from a... They're fun. Yeah, they're fun. You know, I enjoyed them from a... This is a different perspective of Star... You know, it's a British perspective of Star Wars, which was kind of fun. You know, it's it was neat to see how someone else interpreted the Star Wars universe. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. And, of course, there's a story in there, um, the one issue that has never been reprinted. Um, to the best of my knowledge, there's still one story that's never been reprinted. That's in there. And uh, and I've been holding that story in reserve. I still have not read it, so that uh, you know we can do it uh, fresh and new here on uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday. But also, you know, once I've read it, that's it. You know, that's yep. all there's ever going to be. And you know, well, you know, then again, I'm at that point maybe not, too. So because I read Devil World, that was one of the first things I read when I got this massive torrent once mm-hmm. of all these Star Wars comics. Because it was like, oh, okay. So I've read those. It was a long time ago. So I really only remember the Alan Moore one, especially because it's so bizarre and on Star Wars like he is Lovecraftian almost. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I haven't read that one either. And yeah, that's going to be very interesting. It'll be both of our that, that's a very rare thing. Definitely. That there's something that both of us haven't gotten our grubby little hands on. <laughs> onto at one point or another. Definitely. We're 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 both really looking forward to that. I'm excited about that stuff. Sad as I am to see uh the series proper end. I'm excited for where we're gonna go from here with uh with Star Wars Monthly Monday. And again, once it's all said and done, um at the moment I don't think we really have a definite plan. So I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of open to whatever the listeners want. The you know? suggestions, yeah. yeah definitely. I'd, you know? I wouldn't mind bopping around a little bit yeah. instead of finding something and going in chronological order. I wouldn't mind yeah. tasting around through the through the Dark Horse universe a little bit. And there's a lot to a lot of directions to go into, you know? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, here we are at almost five years. It'll be just short of five years by the time we complete the Marvel run. Mm-hmm. And Dark Horse has put out many more times as many yeah. comics. Because they, uh, they acquired the license in 
trying the to 90s, think of what year. It? Yeah, it was in the 90s. I'm trying to think of what year it was that... Uh, I'd want to say Dark it was Knight, like 92 or something 92, like 93 is what I was thinking. Because yeah. Well, yeah, it's actually... I think it was a little bit before that because I think I was living in, in Rochester when uh, the first Timothy Zahn novel came out. And didn't that first novel come out pretty much concurrent with Dark Empire? It would have been... Well, it would... Yeah, and it would have been about nine. That would have been about ninety. Ninety, yeah, ninety or ninety-one. So yeah, yeah they've had twenty years. <laughs> twenty years, yeah, exactly. So yeah, they've they've put out a lot, out of, a lot of material, definitely. So, so I mean, we can go. I know, I know, you and I have collected a few of the little mini series, and some of those are fantastic. So mm-hmm. there's, and I wouldn't mind maybe picking a few choice episodes of Marvel or Marvel Tales of Star Wars Tales. Yeah. Here and there, some of those were fantastic. I'm using that word a lot. But, but no, I agree with you though. I, I think that's. I think that might be the way to do it because I, I've tried to think what would be the best way, you know, to cover that stuff. Would it be you know timeline? Would it be you know we just pick a series and just go from beginning to end? Do we go, you know, in the publishing order? You know, what would be the way? And ultimately, I like your idea. I like the idea of both taking listener suggestions and just kind of randomly jumping around whatever strikes our fancy. Hey, you know, this month let's do this story because it appeals or I remember liking this or I've never read this or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, warts and all, we're really into the Marvel comics, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather not get stuck onto something I might not like as much that takes place in the Old Republic or something with characters that I don't care about. I wouldn't mind dipping our toes into some of that in case some of it's really good and and maybe finding it or or finding it and being like, oh, this sucks. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to be like stuck on a one-year, something that's going to take us a year to run through that we're not really into, you know? Right, and there there is that. Star Wars. Yeah, there is that danger, too, because... It's a quarter of our podcasting empire. We can't... We can't... (laughs) Half asset, and we got If we make it to, if we make it till 2015, then there's probably going to be all kinds of new stuff to to talk about too. So, well, you know, hopefully without sounding too maudlin about it, I mean, it is kind of bittersweet to be at this point because, in a lot of ways, I consider this show to be kind of the cornerstone of Two True Freaks. This was definitely the very first idea I had. When I pitched the idea to you, mm-hmm. yeah, hey, what would you think about doing a podcast? This is exactly what I had in mind was going start to finish with the Marvel Star Wars run because it's always been one of those things I've really held dear as both a Star Wars fan and a comic book collector. I mean, this was the series, this was my gateway drug into comic books. So, you know, to be at this point now is like, wow, you know, we, we did it. You know, we put our. Yeah, you know, we, you you can put it nicely that we put our stamp on it, or you can you know and <laughs> say we pissed all over it. One of the two, but one way or the other, or we both. Put our, you know, yeah. Why not? Why not both? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that uh, anybody that follows us up is going to have their work cut out for them. Although, you know, now that we're getting to the end, I don't think I'm going to be as territorial as You're I, not I as have first? been oh, that's... because now I'm very curious. Are to you not see. merciful? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, uh, I, I have no idea if he still plans to get back to it or not, but I know at one time Josh Bertoni yeah. was doing uh, his show about it, and I was I was, was entertained a very by that. Show, yeah, I, I got a kick out of it. I really did because 
as much as it pained me, he caught things that we didn't. And I liked that. That's going to be the fun now is to listen when people do follow us up to see, you know, now, both the similarities. And caught, did, did it pain you that, that he caught it or did it pain you that you didn't catch it? <laughs> no, that's what I mean. It, it pained me that, wow, how did we miss? Because the one, yeah. the famous one, of course, that he got was Red Cross Nurse in Star mm-hmm. Wars. How the hell did we miss that? I don't know. You know, and it, it it cracks me up. I mean, I'm not, like, mad about it, but it's like I beat myself up like, man, that's... that's it was a, sitting right in front of our nose. Right in front of our faces, and we missed it. But I, I think it's hysteric because when I heard his episode pointing that out, I was like, oh, my God, he's right. <laughs> that's hysterical. How the hell did we miss that, you know? So I'm hoping there's more stuff out there like that. As, as meticulous as we've tried to be i'm sure that there's going to be you know that that this series is rife with things that you know oh yeah it could take many more goings over by many different combinations of people you know i mean it's it's ripe for it so absolutely i don't know how much of a demand there are for multiple marvel star wars (laughs) comics podcasts right Hey, let's. Who knows? <laughs> There's a lot of people in the world. Well, I'm not sure where we want to go from here. Um, what did you have? I know you had a couple of preamble things as well, right? I only had one preamble thing, except that I'm really psyched it since the last time we had this, and we're always late on the. And this this was announced just a few days ago, so it was not in the. Usually it's like the day after we record Star Wars Monthly Monday, so who knows what they'll announce tomorrow. But, you know, now they're saying it's pretty much guaranteed Star Wars movie every year after 2015. Yeah. And I remember you put up a post, you know, of somebody positing the question, you know, could this be Star Wars overkill, to which I um, had to say... I really only had really just two things to say about that. Shut up. Exactly. What Shut a, up. What, really? What an awesome problem to have. What yeah, a what, exactly. what an awesome problem to contemplate. Jeez, do you think we're going to be getting too much Star Wars in the in the future? Cuz I I know that I like I'm I'm very happy because after Jedi I pretty much figured never in my life would I see a new Star Wars movie? Maybe new Star Wars stuff here and there in books and comics and stuff, but I after, thought the movies were pretty Jedi? much... Or after... after Jedi. Really? Oh, okay. After Jedi, I was like, I pretty much figured that was it. I know he promised, you know, six more movies at one point, mm-hmm. and that he kind of, like, tried to retcon that away or whatever, but, there, you know, there was always that nine-movie thing, and then he did the prequels and you could see that they almost killed him and then the response to him was probably no fun at all and you know obviously you remember george lucas you used to see him on tv and he was like the cool dad you know he was like hey you know i'm doing this and doing well, this you know i know he's just any, like <laughs> i never you know? made any secret that that he reminded me of your dad or your your dad reminded me of him one of the two well, so big, yeah I, I know exactly what's going on you know but he yeah. had that you know he had that like yeah like yeah exactly because he, he was cool and upbeat i always took your dad as very upbeat oh yeah 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 and uh lately he just looks you, ugh, <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's taken its toll on him 
And you know, he was pretty clear that he was not really into doing an episode seven, eight, and nine after one, two, and three. And I pretty much figured that was it. I mean, back from you know our for, uh, one of our first podcasts where we were talking about episode seven, we were doing it on a totally theoretical basis. With I don't know, I you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I didn't think it was going to happen, and now it's going to happen. So. So now, now the whole nine movie thing has will be fulfilled, barring there's well, there's no way <laughs> that Disney's not going to make them. You know, now that they've purchased Lucasfilm. Oh yeah. So, whatever. If they're terrible movies, they're terrible movies. But there would have been no movies anyway. So you know, wait until it happens, and in the meantime, Jesus Christ, look forward to some new Star Wars. Exactly. Just, just be happy. And uh, and and all the people who've been griping about George Lucas not being responsible for Star Wars, well, guess what? He's out of the loop now. So how about that? So let's you know. Um, there are three now things. Now we get to see. Now we get to see what it would be like. You know, there are three things that I am just sick to death and just about completely intolerant of these days, and that's Lucas Bashers prequel bashers and disney bashers and i'm disney in the aspect of they're the now the corporate owners the the the, the you know they own the the star wars franchise but those are so now people are taking popular their, things anything that's big huge yeah. like that just invites it's got exactly. you know it's it's they're gonna be there i and I understand the Disney ba- bashers to to some extent depending on what they're bashing about you know right um, I understand the Lucas bashers and I understand the prequel bashers, but I don't understand the amount of energy <laughs> put right. into it. I understand the amount of energy when you like something, you know. I mean, uh, you know, I know you hate this, but I'll t- I'll take you as an example. When when you don't like something and and you talk about it and and it goes on for too long. You start getting sick of it. You don't want to talk about something, right. you know, the Dark Knight. You know, you you right. said your piece on it, and everybody's like, Scott, the Dark Knight. Hey, Scott, what do you think of the Dark Knight? You know, and you don't want to talk about it because it puts you in a bad space. You know, right? Exactly. But there's people who seem to love to talk about what they hate, and you know, get it out there. Say, ah, yeah, I didn't like this because of this and this, but to write on it for years and years and years, yep. really, it. It one makes me wonder what their motivations are, you know. I mean, I'll keep talking about the prequels, but that's because I, I, you know, I mean, I, I can say I love those movies, you know, uh, for all their, for all the, and I can see the crap tac, crap <laughs> tacularness of them, you know. But at the same time, it's almost like they needed to be made in some way you know there needed to be star wars and they've kept star wars alive to this point exactly so, exactly yeah. and you know for a lot of people that are out there you know my my kids included that's their star wars you mm-hmm. know love it or hate it you know that's what they're growing up with as their star wars so, and it can never be the same but the amount that it did appeal to kids says something mm-hmm. because it wasn't the same as Star Wars coming out. How could it be? You know, Star Wars came out of nowhere. 
but it 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 fulfilled it it created a new generation and there and there were plenty of other movies that those kids could have gripped on to too it could have easily fallen between the cracks with kids now at the same time the kids kids pick up from their parents and these movies were something that their parents were excited about Right. So so they're watching their parents go, a new Star Wars movie come and make them watch the first three and get them all excited and revved up for it. But then again, my parents were getting me revved up for Star Wars because they saw Gene Shalit talking about it. And, you know, they knew I was a Star Trek nerd and, and you know, they were going to get the vicarious fun of seeing me in the movie theater loving it, you know. So I don't know. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting more excited can, about it all the time. I'm old. <laughs> and, you know, two years. It's like I know two years will go by like nothing. Mm-hmm. My my only other preamble thing is, and I've been I, I was telling you before we started recording. I've been meaning to talk about this for the last few months, but this is the month to really talk about it because this is the month I'm on top, and that's I've been playing I. And I've swore never to do this on Facebook, but I'm playing the Angry Birds game on <laughs> Facebook. The, specifically, the Angry Birds Star Wars game. Which, for those of you who know it or don't know it, it has, you know, you have levels where you're playing through, you know, tattooing and, and the deaths. It, it's only up to the Death Star now, but, you know, there's levels if you get the game that go up to Hoth, but on Facebook, it's only up to the Death Star right now. And you can play the levels and, and you know, whoever and all the people on your friends list on Facebook that play the game also, you see what their ranking is in comparison to you. But there's a weekly tournament where they have, I think, five or six levels that just last for a week. And you try to rank on that. And this month, for once, I'm number one. It's Or, or this week, I'm number one at the time of recording Star Wars Monthly Monday. (laughs) And by the time this comes out, it's going to already be too late. There'll be a new tournament. So I can't... So me sitting here gloating won't rally my other (laughs) opponents into going and beating me. Because you can gloat. if Once you beat somebody, you can gloat them and it'll mail them on Facebook and say, haha, you just got crushed by, you know, by your best friend or whatever. But... uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, now it'll be too late. So I think I might actually, I think in about, oh, I think actually 46 minutes ago, I think I might have retired as retired that level as number one. But uh, my main, I just want to tell my my main opponents out there, the ones who I'm always jockeying between, that's Bill Robinson, Josh Baker, Brian Severt, and the bastard, the hair metal hero, who always seems to be number one always he's not even ranking on the the weekly tournament this week which makes me think maybe he's found a lady or something (laughs) or uh got something more important going in his life or he's found a better porn channel than angry birds (laughs) star wars but yeah all those guys i'm whooping them good this month whooping them soundly and uh, Angry Birds, just like any Angry Birds, Angry Birds Star Wars is addictive, but it's twice as addictive to the nerd because it's got Star Wars music and backgrounds and 
you get to launch the birds into adats and stuff like that. You can't beat it. <laughs> but that's about all Star Warsy I got this month. I got some Star Wars that I am mighty excited about. This was a little press release that came out uh, not long ago. This was uh, at work, and I've been itching to talk about it. It says, Today, we're pleased to announce that everyone's favorite galactic smuggler, gambler, and scoundrel will temporarily leave Cloud City and board the Millennium Falcon with a course set for Disney's Hollywood Studios. As actor Billy D. Williams returns Billy to start. Williams. Billy D. Williams is coming here. Yes. Billy D. Williams. He's coming here tomorrow. Billy D. Williams. Let me talk. Billy D. Williams returns to Star Wars weekends for the 2013 edition, and it goes on and on to talk about you know that he played Lando Calrissian and all that, but. uh that's pretty exciting. That's it's about damn time, man. Yep, and uh, I'm I'll hoping tell you, out of that crew, he's the one looking about. He's looking like he's still looking pretty decent, you know. Oh yeah, I uh, I'm excited. I'm hoping that this is just like to wet appetites, and maybe there'll be some other ones, maybe last minute, maybe even be some surprise guests that'll show up at the thing. I don't know anything. That's pure speculation, but uh, it would be nice, I think. Uh, but I, I'm excited about that because I want to see us get back to having some of the uh, the A-listers of the saga showing up at Star Wars Weekends again. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, if you go to uh, the Disney blogs, Disney Park blo- Parks blogs... Um, I'm looking at it here. It's uh, DisneyParks.Disney.Go.com, and then you go to the blog section... Not long ago, they released uh, some pictures of all the Star Wars Weekend uh, merchandise that's going to be coming out this year. And, man, there's some really, really cool stuff. I imagine there's going to be lots of good Disney Star Wars merchandise in the next few years, for sure. The one I'm really, really excited about is uh, I've got a real soft spot for Jedi Mickey. And, you know, I have the the little action figure of Jedi Mickey that has his own personal R2 unit, R2MK. Well, now this year for Star Wars Weekend's merchandise, they're actually putting out a Jedi Mickey Starfighter. So it's it's Jedi Mickey's own personal Starfighter with like hidden Mickey's mm-hmm. on the wings, and it's really. I've cool. seen I, that; it's really cool. I've got to get one of those. I think that's awesome. I think that's won't really be long cool. the before there's probably a Lego version. Oh yeah, that would that would be very cool. You know what? I'm really. I've excited. got a I've got a pin of the MKD2. I think. Yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The the thing I'm really uh, hoping is going to happen, and again, it's pure speculation. I don't know anything for sure, but uh, if you guys have been keeping a, an eye or ear out for um, stuff about uh, Disney Infinity that's coming out, the video game, that's looking like it's pretty awesome. And I'm really holding out for, I'm hoping that they're going to throw in Star Wars stuff with it, and I'm really hoping they're going to throw in Marvel stuff with it. So I think eventually you could have a pretty awesome world. And it's it's open world, it's open toy box, and just the little bit I've seen of it just makes me, it just blows my mind. It's like, oh my god, this is, this is a kid's dream. It's all your... It's like it's basically dumping out your toy box and playing with all your action figures at once, no matter 
you know, what they are, they're all playing together like we used to do. And I think that's cool. And I, I can't wait till they start throwing some Star Wars into that. But that's pretty much all I've got as far as uh, preamble stuff, I believe, here. Yeah, that's everything in my notes. Before we get into the issues proper, we do have a couple of uh, items of feedback to address here. So first letter here is simply entitled Star Wars Monthly Monday, and this is from Mark Kamphausen. And he says, Han Solo and the Force. I recently had some thoughts about some things Scott brought up a while ago I wanted to share. I hope I'm remembering what Scott said correctly. Oh, that's all right, because Scott doesn't remember what Scott said. (laughs) Yeah, you can pretty much make it up. (laughs) He says, but let me explain what started me thinking. I was watching the final story arc of Clone Wars Season 5, where Ahsoka is accused of a crime she didn't commit. In it, the Jedi Council, outside of Anakin, do absolutely nothing to try and figure out what happened and throw one of their own to the wolves, Tarkin and Palpatine. The Jedi Council basically conducts a perfunctory investigation, come to the conclusion Ahsoka is guilty, throw their hands in the air, and claim it's the will of the Force. By this point in the prequel era, I am sick and tired of hearing about the will of the Force and watching the Jedi make one bad decision after another. It is nothing but laziness on their part. By the time we get to Episode 4, I find the Han Solo's perspective to be a real breath of fresh air. His mentality of, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other and never seen anything that makes me believe there's one all-powerful energy field controlling everything, is great to hear in this galaxy full of blind devotees to the Force. Even though he uh, made those comments in 1977, uh, 1977, after all this time, it's still a refreshing attitude. You know, that's a good point. It's a very good point. I've often wondered, I'm going to step outside of uh, Mark's letter here for a second, I've often wondered if all of that comes about because like what happens in the real world, when Palpatine took power, I'm imagining that he started to suppress things like, like newsreels or whatever they would be called in the, in the star Wars universe and, you know, documentaries and, and files and inform, you know, basically, <clears throat> pardon me, information. He started to block information so that even though it's only 20 years, which is a bit of a, a stretch, I think, um, people began to either forget or people that, you know, were like Luke, you know, were babies or, or not even born yet, that sort of thing, would grow up without ever having really seen the Force or what a Jedi could do or anything like that. So then it falls into the realm of myth, and then that's why you get guys like uh, Mati, who... 20 did, years is kind of a stretch. Yeah. Then again, then again, the Jedi seem to be pretty much concentrated in one area they seem to be on coruscant by the end right and you know it's a big big galaxy right so you might not they could have been legendary even when they were in full if you're living on coruscant you might see jedis doing their thing but it's like the the fbi or something you know the fbi are here but you don't really how many fbi members have you met don't answer that (laughs) Uh, continuing in Mark's letter here, he says, Next I got to thinking about Scott's comments a while back that he believes there should have been some dialogue between Han and Luke in Return of the Jedi where Han recants those comments. I disagree with Scott and I'm glad a conversation like that never took place. Han never claimed the Force didn't exist. He just said he didn't believe it controls everything. There's no mystical energy field controlling my destiny. It's all a bunch of simple tricks and nonsense. 
right. All right. You got to forgive me because I'm not sure of my facts here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I didn't say that I wanted that in Return of the Jedi, although I, I could be wrong. I may have said that. But what I really mean is I think it's a shame that we're, we're – I don't think we're ever going to really get that scene because – you know, more than likely with this new series of films, we're going to be picking up many years past right. Return of the Jedi, where uh, if that happened, Han, happened a long time ago. Exactly, Han and everybody have gotten used to the fact of Luke being a Jedi Knight, and he's probably going to be a master by the time we pick up with this new trilogy well, and all that. There's people who believe in psychics and and telekinesis and stuff who don't believe in God. You know what I mean? So right. he could see the Force as something that Luke has learned to use with his mind, but not as being like a universal binding power, you know? I mean, I'm not saying that I wanted to see, you know, Han necessarily come around per se, but it, it would be like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, you know? It would be it, like living through the movie The Omen. Well, it would be going, like ah, I don't believe in God. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be, it'd be like you know. I'm trying. I really am struggling for a good analogy, but kind of like, uh, like you know, we we've said before that Indiana Jones, by about you know his his third or fourth movie, shouldn't really be a, a non-believer anymore when it comes to at least Christian artifacts because he's witnessed the power of God, you know. That sort of thing. I don't know. Maybe that's a poor analogy too. Well, but, uh, well, yeah. Really, all I wanted was I, I just wanted a moment where where Han had to come to terms it. with the fact that although he doesn't believe, there's got to be something to what Luke's doing. You can't just just chalk it up to parlor tricks when he does something like what he does in Dark Empire where he takes down a walker with nothing more than a wave of his hand, you can't just dismiss that, you know? There, there's something there. And I just, I've always kind of regretted that we never really got anything. It could of, just of, be midichlorians. Kind of <laughs> scratching his head and going, hmm, you know? There's these things called midichlorians. Oh, stop it. But I, I want to address... The whole thing of why the Jedi Jedi's are such jerks, and <laughs> all in the prequels and these, I think they're supposed to be jerks. I think they're supposed to mess up time and time again and be lazy. I think it's like, I think it's sort of. I think he was trying to say that like the whole bringing balance to the Force was thing was you needed the Sith to come in because the Jedi were becoming too complacent, complacent too yeah. built into society. Yeah. They were becoming a tool of the government or a tool, you know, people were being, people were able to manipulate them and they weren't becoming sort of a spiritual ordership order as much as they were becoming like a, you know, a, a, a little military branch that could do re dirty work for the government. Do you buy into the whole thing that Lucas was making some sort of commentary with his movies, with his prequel trilogy? Only in broad strokes. I think, I, I think like, the only time that he made a direct editorial was with the whole, um, you know, only a Jedi or only a Sith would speak in, you know, you're either for us or against us, you know, only a right. Jedi would speak in, or a Sith would speak in absolutes. I think that was the only, like, overt editorial and i think that's why that line was kind of laughable and fell flat in the movie 
But I think he's making more just general um, strokes about the the way civilizations, governments, and religions right will peak, and then they'll become corrupt and com- you know complacent, and then bad stuff will happen. But that bad stuff will bring out the good that's become complacent and become hidden in the in the you know. And then the cycle begins anew, right? With another season of Young Jedi. But you know, I, mean, <laughs> I, I think they were supposed to be. I think they were supposed to be, you know, kind of jerks and kind of, you know, almost corporate. You know, almost like yes, work, work yeah. for a corporation, and they have their set of rules that they're never, ever going to make an exception to. You know, everybody clings to them because they're good. They're if they, if they bend a rule. And something goes wrong, then their higher ups gonna. So everybody's. So that's sort of what I, you know, I think. I think the the thing about it is our expectations were the Jedi to be the, and they were awesomely powerful, and they were very and in their ways wise, a lot of them. But in in the same way as a group, they were just they were losing it towards the end, right? And with with only Yoda and Kenobi really sort of keeping it together you know kenobi almost as you know it was portrayed as like the only one who had sort of a sense of humor about him you know right and yoda was just the one who was able to keep distance on everything and seemed to know more than everybody else so yeah it's it's not fun watching them be jerks because you want them to be this awesome force but at the same time you're talking about this was when they fell and if they were at their peak of their power and they were operating as pure Jedi, you know, Palpatine wouldn't have been able to take control. They would have found him and 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 gotten rid of him a lot sooner, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable, you know. Right. It's an uncomfortable time period because so so you only get to see the physical awesomeness of the Jedi. You only get to see. You know, how they can jump really high and take down a lot of robots and, you know, fight with it, it Matrix style with lightsabers and stuff. But the, the spiritual aspect of it is, you know, the, 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 the slow Buddhist, almost like Yoda-ness that you got from, I mean, because Yoda and, and Kenobi were the only Jedi's you know, before Luke became a Jedi and he, he formed off them, you know, if, if, if Luke had, you know, um, Samuel Jackson to, (laughs) as his mentor, (laughs) instead of, instead of, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, it might've been a different story. You know, he might've been a more of a jerk. I heard something not long ago and I, I have no idea if it's really true or not, but I heard he was lobbying to try to be part of the new, the new series coming out, but I, again, I know, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, but I have no idea if it was, if it's true for one thing, but also if he was meaning, uh, coming back as Mace Windu or, you know, a completely different character. Make him into some kind of alien that has a good personality and it would be more of a, a good use of Samuel L. Jackson, you know, I still want to know, 
What was the whole thing with Mace Windu and Lando Calrissian? I never did hear the the end of what that was all about because I can remember when um, Phantom Menace it was in the you know pre release phases. There was a an advanced figure that you could get. I think you had to order away for it or something like that. And I don't, I don't know that he was even named, other than it said something about he had some mysterious connection to Lando Calrissian, and it ended up being a Mace Windu figure. But I've never heard anything more about that. I'd, I'd like to know was they're both black. That I mean, Star I'm Wars, wondering that is really that makes, that really makes them <laughs> stand out? You know, right. yeah. Well, I mean, because what more else is there? Ref- the, you know, refrigerator guy's already got his own figure too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the the fact that you would want to take the two characters that were black and somehow connect them, and not that it wasn't kind of he was trying too hard to connect stuff in in the prequels anyway. Right. But to go like, oh, we've got these two characters and they're both black in this huge galaxy. Let's make them cousins or something, you know, something right. stupid like that. And uh, yeah, because I, I don't know. I I don't can't picture Lando as a descendant of Mace Windu because Lando strikes me as someone like Han Solo, not really a midichlorian guy, you know, a, right. a live by your wits and and fists sort of guy right if he would have had force you know tendencies he would have been a different person so that might have been that might have been something they were thinking of and they dropped too because somebody said no no that's a bad idea no you're you're you already made this jar jar character you know come on (laughs) well mark's email continues here he says uh I don't think his thoughts of the Force would have changed him after his friends rescued him from Jabba. It was not the Force that rescued him. It was his friends who executed a plan and freed him from the Carbonite. He was rescued by people disguising themselves in cleverly hidden, wep- uh, in cleverly hidden weapons. In other words, simple tricks and nonsense. Now, if it's character development you're looking for, there was a shift in Han in Return of the Jedi after he was rescued. I think Han realizes that his friends did have other things to worry about, bigger fish to fry. Luke and company could have easily said to themselves, we're too busy fighting the Empire to take time out to help Han with a problem he created on his own. But they did take the time out. They did risk their lives to rescue rescue him. They decided the needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many. You got the wrong franchise there, dude. says, uh, to Han's pragmatic struggler mind, that's two you owe me, Junior. That doesn't add up. They uh, didn't rescue him looking for a reward. What Han does realize and what does change for him is not his views of the Force, but the fact that he now has a family. He now has people in his life who are willing to lay down their lives for him, not looking for a reward or because they owe him, but because they are his brothers and sisters. I, I completely agree with you, however... You know, I was thinking about this not long ago, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that when it comes to the original trilogy, you know, the original story, I kind of, maybe one of the problems I've always had with Return of the Jedi is ultimately, maybe it should have been two more movies. Maybe they should have had a movie that was 
the rescue of Han Solo and maybe more of what you're talking about here. Maybe it should have been more Han-centric. Maybe Harrison Ford would have been a little bit more on board with that movie if the third movie of a four-movie arc had really been a Han Solo, a solid Han Solo arc. And then the well, last I think if the movie, third movie, Han Solo dies, then you have a fourth movie where they have to deal without him yeah you know, but i i wouldn't know interesting it, doing it the way i'm envisioning it i wouldn't want it wanted him to have died though so much as had this this revelatory thing that that mark's talking about here because i like this idea and i don't disagree with you but i think as much as i love return of the jedi believe me i'm not bashing on the movie in a lot of ways I've always had an undefined sense of disappointment with The Return of the Jedi at the same rate. And part of that is, much like some of the prequel movies, I felt like they were running out of time. By the the time you get about, oh, I don't know, halfway to three-quarters through Return of the Jedi... They have to start tying everything up. Yeah, you start looking at your watch going, Jesus, guys, you only have a half an hour left. And there's a whole lot of stories still going here that you've got to resolve quickly... And in a lot of ways, the ending of Return of the Jedi is a little too pat. And so I wonder if maybe ultimately it wouldn't have been better served to break the movie up with, you know, basically right at the midway point of both of those movies, split them into two, two more movies. Give us a little more time. With not necessarily with Jabba's palace because I, I it's no I make no secret about the fact that I really don't like the beginning of Return of the Jedi. I'm really kind of sick of the whole Jabba thing. I think it takes up far too much of the movie. That's my problem with it. It's not that it's bad. It's just I feel like it steals much needed time for for later in the picture where more of that needs to get fleshed out better. Um, but that said, I would have liked to have seen what you're talking about here. Han really coming to grips with this revelation that wow you know these guys you know they put it all on the line to rescue me uh you know a a bum a a, you know a a tramp uh you know just a a scoundrel and kind of coming around instead when i watch the film i really get more of a sense of once the whole java thing's over Hans, I gotta kind of agree with Harrison Ford in a lot of ways. Han doesn't have a lot of shit to do in that movie, and he becomes kind of a joke, which is a shame. He shouldn't have been treated that way. I, I would have really have liked to see more character development. There just simply wasn't time in the rest of the movie, so he kind of gets relegated to almost comedy relief in a lot of ways. And that is just reaction after that. Yeah, it's 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 a shame. He really does get shortchanged in the second half of that movie. Uh, continuing, Mark says, uh, now shifting topics, he says, I just wanted to thank you guys for covering Marvel Star Wars. I was born in 75 and have been watching Star Wars my entire life, but I never read the Marvel stuff. If it wasn't for you guys, I never would have. So I just wanted to thank you. My Marvel collection is just about complete. I'm only missing issue 95. Uh, I'm sure it'll turn up somewhere. Wow, that's that's awesome. That makes me yeah. feel really good. It really, really does. That's awesome. He's got more than I do. <laughs> he says, uh, if you're looking for comics to cover after the Marvel series concludes, hey, we were just talking about this. He says, how about the new Dark Horse Star Wars series? I, I wouldn't be averse to that. He says, I just picked up uh, issue three this week. It's been fun so far. 
Now that uh, we have a better idea of the larger picture, I wonder what stories uh, they'll tell to fill in that time period. I wonder if Luke and Leia will still be playing a tongue twister, or is that just too effed up? That might be a good idea. I got no, I I I have only read number one, but I liked it a lot, and it and it sort of it sort of is starting out at the beginning of the Marvel era. Well, maybe that would serve so as that our nice. that could serve as our like regular coverage, and then we have the other stuff in the background that we jump around, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. I, I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Well, they come out one a month. We just yeah. might have to play a, a few issues of catch-up, but that's it. Yeah, I like that idea. It says, I also wonder how it will compare and contrast with the Marvel stuff. Anyway, thanks for the podcast, guys. And again, that's from Mark uh, Camphausen. Thank you very much, Mark. That was a very uh, very insightful uh, email that <laughs> spurred a lot of discussion there. I, I guess like so. Uh, our next one? Actually, I think this is... No, I'm sorry. i got two more. Real quick. We've got one here from uh, our good buddy, Jonathan Kreitz. He says, Star Wars, Monthly Monday, number 49. So you can see we're just a little bit behind on these. So sorry I didn't write in last episode. I took a new job at the end of January and have much less time for podcasts. Hey, I, I, I don't need your lame-ass excuses. Write into the show more often. No, I, I appreciate you writing in when, when you've got Sit in when you're driving into work. That's it. <laughs> That's it. In danger, what a few listeners we have. <laughs> He says, some thoughts on Star Wars Monthly Monday number 49. He says, uh, I am concerned that in the rush to fill a bunch of uh, new standalone Star Wars films, there could be a quality control issue. He says, this may sound silly in light of the reception of the prequels, but it concerns me. Do we really need standalone films for Yoda, Boba Fett, etc.? Do we Mm. need them? No. No. Want them? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the analogy, and I'm sure I've made this point before, the analogy I draw is like the Dark Horse stuff. I like those one-shots. I like those spotlight issues. We haven't had time up till now to really have that sort of thing because we've only had, you know, the, the six live-action films and the, and the one animated. You know, even the, the animated series, you know, because it was telling a, a, a larger picture, I don't think really did a whole lot of character spotlights. There were, there were a few here and there. I'd like to see those in live action movies. I do have a slight concern in the back of my mind of not so much oversaturation or too much Star Wars, because that sentence just doesn't even compute to me. You know, those those words don't belong in the same sentence too much in Star Wars. But at the same rate, I, I do worry about the quality control only in, you know, we, you got to match up the right people with the right projects and everything. If it's going to attract any, a lot of a talented people. That's exactly. The that they won't have to be like, ah, let's just th- th- throw this lame direct, you know, hey, he pumped out five, you know, um, you know, five movies last year. Right. All on, on budget and on time. And they they did fairly well. See, you know they're not going to be doing that. They're going to have a list everything to choose from because exactly they all want to do Star Wars. So well, it's not just that. I mean, that's what I was going to say too. But it's not just that. It's that if this were any other movie house, I might be a little more worried than I am. And please believe me, this is not just me. Just you know, being a cheerleader because you know they they pay my bills because I work for Disney. I, I honestly feel this way. 
I think this franchise is in excellent hands. They don't I pay my they don't pay my bills, and I'll say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of any other uh, entity out there that I would rather have Lucas hand this off to. I, I that's my honest opinion. I really can't think of anybody better suited to take this property and be able to give it the the, the love and attention and care and stewardship that it deserves. I mean, are they going to want to make a buck off it? Absolutely. They run a business. That's that's the whole intent and point. You know, and, and anybody's crazy and deluding themselves if they don't see it that way as a business made to make money. That said, believe me, the people behind the scenes, the people that that are going to be involved in every aspect of bringing these pictures to the screen love Star Wars. Love it. And they grew, they've all grown up with it and Exactly. And 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 I'll be honest, if there's ten Star Wars movies and they all suck except one of them is awesome, <laughs> then you know what? I win. I'll be I'll be happy. Cause nine crappy Star Wars movies will definitely not be like a horror, you know, they'll probably be enjoyable in the movie theater or whatever. But, you know, whatever. I can get over bad stuff in a franchise, you know. It doesn't ruin it. It doesn't ruin it for me, usually unless it, like, gets to some point where the ruination becomes the status quo. But, which some people would argue the prequels were like, but I would, but... Well, you know, yeah, you know, come on. And this is this is it's it's all all the names that they're you know throwing out. The only one so far that's made me squirm in terror has been Zack Snyder. And there's worse directors that could get their hands on a Star Wars movie than Zack Snyder. Anyway, right. it would, you would. So there would be one Star Wars movie where I'd be like, I don't like this director. I'm gonna hate this movie when it comes out, and or whatever. That's okay. There'll be another one next year. And I wanted to look different types of things that I could say I could fall on my nose with one of these pictures that I had another one right behind it that would hit. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, plus, I think that we're, by by having this stewardship pass You could, you could to, live to see your grandkids go see in a new Star Wars oh, movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I think by having the stewardship of this property pass to another generation that has grown up on it and and loved it and cherished it and and has a sense that's of something new well they we have a sense of ownership about it that sort of thing i think that that gives incredible potential to all the concerns and the bitches and gripes and complaints that people have with the with the prequel trilogy well, for those things to be addressed because you have repeatedly brought up a really, really good point, which is that ultimately probably the biggest problem with the prequels is that unlike the original trilogy, George Lucas lacked that person or persons to go, dude, don't think you ought to do that. Back that's that's and, not a yeah. good idea. Whereas that can happen with this because you're going to have – I'm not going to say nerds rule, but really exactly. Yeah, that's the best way to and, put it. it is, and let, let me tell you, everybody involved with every new Star Wars movie, especially the first couple, 
are going to be acutely aware of the problems of episode one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. They've argued with them on pod on their own podcast with their friends in 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 dark rooms with their friends for hours about it. You know themselves, so they're they're you know they're they're going to be extra careful not to have bad acting and long uh, Senate meetings and you know. Someone told me the other day that Martin Scorsese, or no, Brian De Palma, wrote the first opening scroll for Star Wars. Yeah, I think I heard that as well. I think it was, uh, uh, you know what it was on? It was on that Patton Oswald rant that he did that's making its way around the internet, hmm. saying that they should invite Brian De Palma back to write a scroll but you know even the scroll when it comes down to the scroll whoever writes that scroll is going to be like god i don't want to write an episode one scroll you know so yeah <laughs> there yeah there's going to be way more checks and balances on this yeah which a lot of the times i would have argued would have been a bad thing in star wars movies but i've learned my lesson on that right so well jonathan Jonathan continues here. He says, speaking of uh, Boba Fett, he says, that is a character that really benefited from the early EU. His short stories published in the Tales Anthology books and early Dark Horse series better cemented him as a bad, bad man. Uh, He says, the Purge books from Dark Horse are good, but I've liked the Darth Vader and series of miniseries uh, much more. Lost Command and Ghost Prison were both really good. These kinds of stories are something I could see get a standalone film, Darth Vader Hunting Jedi. Yeah, I would love that. This is an awesome Vader film. Could help wash the taste of Hayden Christensen. Uh, why you got to say that, dude? <laughs> but no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I forget which one of those was the first one, but the one where uh, where Vader got badly damaged and spent a lot of the, the rest of it with like his his helmet off and his armor all shot up and everything was just fantastic, and it basically had the ghost of Padme coming back to to keep haunting him and and uh, pointing out the fact that uh, you know this this hadn't been done to her he killed her that was fantastic I forget which one of the those minis that was but I would love to see that as a film I thought that, that might was have like been lost great. command I think yeah. I have that one that one was really that was one of those gorgeously painted yeah just awesome I would have liked to have seen I'd like to see splinter of the mind's eye done by that art team yeah beautiful uh, he says finally as a big Seinfeld fan yada yada Yoda was hilarious well thank you and that's from uh, Jonathan Kreitz. And real quick, I just want to mention here that uh, next episode, where we cover issue 107, the last issue, we're going to have epic coverage. We want to really do it upright and go out with a bang. I'm soliciting you folks to send us top three lists of things related to the series that you want us to uh, to run down. So far... We've only gotten one response to that, and that's from our buddy Scott Reif, and he just says, top three lists for the final Star Wars uh, podcast. Wait, you're going to read it now instead of... Well, I was thinking about it. Let me just... I'll read a couple of them just to give you an idea of the sorts of... Because I think he got it. He, He got exactly the concept I was going for. So just a couple here. Now, what he did was he did it the way I wanted was... 
he just wrote in what he wants us to cover. Now, if you guys also want to throw in your own picks for these, that's awesome. Scott didn't do that. He just throw, threw in a couple here. So he's got like, he wants to know like our top three villains, uh, top three new planets, top three covers, that sort of thing. So that's exactly what I was looking for. So guys, write in, send us our, you know, your lists of uh, top threes that you want us to cover for our, our big closeout episode on this whole thing. But we are running really long, and we haven't even gotten to the first book yet. Nope. <laughs> so you want to take a little break, and, uh, and we'll come back with uh, coverage of uh, Star Wars 105? I know we're putting it off, aren't we, because we don't want it to end. Yes, let's do that. All right. The Dinner for Geeks podcast. Four geeks eating dinner. Opinion. Batman Begins was interminable. Screw all of you people in your backstory. Okay? <laughs> it's, no, it's no Grease 2, I'll tell you that. I don't think she was ever hotter than in Grease 2, and I hate to say that because I'm not a musical man. Maxwell Caulfield, also never hotter than in Grease 2. <laughs> Questions. Why in God's name did Kenner decide to go, you know, we just don't like the head on that solo figure. Let's redo it and make it look ridiculous. Who is Navin Jones' story? <laughs> you don't have a gun, and you don't think you're... You're, I don't think I'm responsible enough. Yeah, no. yeah. And I do have a gun, but I started thinking, I don't think I'm responsible enough. <laughs> well, it's a small gun, so I called it my holdout blaster. <laughs> if you're calling it a blaster, you're probably not responsible. <laughs> and the one time I was... calling it pop And the one time I thought of buying another gun... It was a broom-handled Mauser. Oh, no. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I talked to my uncle, who was a gun guy. I told him what I wanted to get. He goes, why would why? you want that? <laughs> and I told him, he goes, maybe you don't need a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and dinner. We got seasonal fruit for an upcharge. Yeah. Uh, you got any pickles back there? No. Dinner4geeks.libsyn.com Or in the Apple iTunes store under Dinner for Geeks. It's like an Easter egg you don't have to look real hard to find. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 51. And now we're going to get into the uh, comics coverage portion of the episode. Chris has the first synopsis for us. Yes. Star Wars number 105. This one has a cover by uh, Cynthia Martin and Ken Stacy, and showing just how different Cynthia Martin's art can look with another person <laughs> yeah. drawing over it. Uh, was a 75-cent cover, May of 1986. Uh, story by Joe Duffy, layouts by Cynthia Martin and Steve Lealoha, one of my favorite inkers for but. It's finished by Ken Stacy, so I'm assuming he's the inker, probably, or partially the inker. Tom Orzachowski was the letterer, Glennis Oliver was the colorist, and Asenti the editor, and uh, Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, but this in this one he's called Overseeing. He's the Overseer, which sounds kind of slave-like. <laughs> Maybe they were mad at him that month or something. Maybe he yelled at everybody at Star Wars that month, so they called him the Overseer. <laughs> so, uh... Cliff and Luke are prisoners of the bug-like Hiromis, quote-unquote prisoners. But it's just sort of a ploy to, for Luke to see what they're up to and to have Cliff uh, check out what's going on. But they, in turn, are taken prisoners by the Hulk pirate race called the Toffs. 
who've uh, come to uh, Zeltros to get the Nagai, who have just captured Han, Chewie, Lando, and a bunch of Zeltrons who are celebrating their new treaty with the Planetary Alliance, if that makes any sense. So there's like three hostile takeovers going on at once. Meanwhile, uh, the evil Nagai Den has uh, Leia and Danny in his clutches, and he seems to have some nefarious plans for uh, them, and judging by the his past history, it's not going to be good. But he's sort of betrayed the Nagai and, and is sort of helping out the Toffs, and uh, especially when they threaten to uh, ice Danny if he doesn't uh, cooperate with them and take them to their leaders. Meanwhile, a crew of Hujibs have sort of uh, come in, and the Toffs just mistake them for some local vermin, take some pot shots at them, and then forget about them. So when they leave the room, uh, the Hujibs are free to just sort of uh, free Leia and Donnie and tell them that, you know, the the Toffs have taken their Leia's handymen, or whatever you want to call them, to, uh, to their ship. Meanwhile... Uh, Toph is, is sort of manhandling Luke's lightsaber. Luke puts up with it for a little while, but soon Force wills his second lightsaber to him and starts kicking some Toph ass with uh, some help from the Hujibs, who are surprisingly Monty Python rabbit-like. So uh, some Toph's pursuit... Well, they're not beheading people, but... You know, <laughs> Give their little sharp teeth in action. Oh, I would have like, loved this teeth. issue if somebody had gone, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Taking their arm right Run off. Run away! <laughs> so some Toffs pursue Le- uh, Leia and Donnie, but uh, find that their guns have been drained of all their energy by the Hujibs. And so they, they decide to use Plan B. Clubs. But just then, Luke arrives with an ass-kicking team of uh, Hiromi, and uh, after basically getting a status update of the last few pages from the ladies, Luke rallies the cowardly Hiromi to attack the top ship and, and release Leia's boy toys in the next issue. And I forgot to put the name of the episode issue at the top of the, the synopsis, which is The Party's Over. Now, I don't want to be a big bummer, but I got to say that I think this is a very aptly named issue because it kind of feels that way with this one. Well, I, they knew the end was near, I think, and they're trying to wrap actually, everything up as quick as possible. So they're throwing every bit of everything into the stew now. You know, every character's there. Every major character's there, you know, you don't have your Admiral Akbars, but you got the whole main crew all together in each comic, you know? So you bring up an interesting point. This actually jumps to the very end of my notes, but this brings up an interesting point. Did they know? Because I would argue that they may not have, because there's a letter here in the letters page from a Matthew... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Basically asking them... Hey, I had a good idea. I see you guys are putting out the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. How about a Star Wars edition? And the answer he gets back is blah, 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 blah. Way down here he says, uh, how about a few letters from everyone telling us what you think about Matt's idea? Huh? Well, how about it? So if they're soliciting feedback on whether the list, uh, the readers like this idea of a Star Wars edition of Ohatmu, then 
did they realize they only had two issues left? Those letters won't I, even make I it. Don't wanna, the I don't want to spoil ahead, but at the end of the next issue, they pretty much say, come right. back for the end. Right. So I'm wondering, see, at this point, the book is now bi-monthly. So mm, did right. something change between 105? You know, did, At the time that this issue was being prepped and written and produced and everything... Did things change literally between this issue and the next issue? Because as we're going to see, the series does just abruptly end. It's really, I mean, I think they did an admirable job of kind of sort of tidying things up, but it does pretty much just, boop, that's it. You know, there's no big season, fina- you know, series finale. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's no big, you know, you know, how, how is often done in comics, you know, with a big resolution, maybe a look back. There's none of that. It, it wraps up the current storyline, kind of, and that's that. It's done. So based, you know, and I realize this is just one offhand comment in the letters page, but based on that, I really, I mean, I really have to wonder, did they see it coming? Because I know as a reader, I sure as hell didn't. I still maintain to this day that despite the fact, like you said, the next issue ends by saying next issue is the last issue. I I know I must have either missed that or totally disbelieved it as a kid because when it was said and done with 107, I was like, well, what the hell? You know, I mean, it really took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it was it was really ending. So I don't know. Then you ran off and joined the military. It was so traumatic. <laughs> I'm out of here, man. Yep, I joined the French Foreign Legion well, just to get away from my sorrows. I mean, it seemed like to, it seems to me Joe Duffy is like sort of alternating her story arcs between a dramatic story and then farce. Yes, you know. So this story, this story asp- this story has dramatic elements to it. But for the most part, it's just, uh, it's like Midsummer's, well, I don't want to put it on a Shakespeare level, but you know, it's like <laughs> Midsummer's Night Dream where there's four, you know, clashing storylines all going on at the same time for, you know, a bunch of clashing motivations. Oh and- my God. You know what? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Something just occurred to me that I can't believe I've never thought of in how many years is this? This is creeping up on 30 years old now, right? Mm-hmm. This is 1985? 86. Look again at that cover. I can't believe I've never, ever noticed this before. The Toffs are Caucasian. Well, we're going <laughs> to find that the Toffs are kind of, because they're green as the Hulk in this one. Right. They're green as hell. They look like hulks in pirate outfits. They do. They look like they look like like the With hulk hair. version of the pirates of the Caribbean or yes, something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're like the hulk versions. But we find maybe they're saying something about in this one they were envious and in the next one they're cowardly because they're yellow in the next one. Bright yellow. Ah, uh, that's true. That's true. So so I don't know what the what the what they were thinking with this or if nobody was paying attention at all yeah this cover you would never i would never chalk this up to cynthia martin there's I a few strokes like in it. the who ears and stuff 
but otherwise it's so painted over and covered it it, it looks completely different yeah i don't i don't like her it. style yeah it's yeah it reminds me of like um if it was a record <laughs> you know a kitty record right yeah of this story that that would be what the cover looked like sort of i mean inside it looks like cynthia martin's art it's uh it's definitely a little muddled up because of all the hands involved in it, but it, it, it doesn't ruin it as far as that, you know. I don't know about that because my note for this, my big note for this issue is what happened to the art? Because up till now, we have been raving about the art, and I think the art had been consistently stepping up issue after issue after issue. So well, I think somebody. This- Huh? This one it's doctored up to look more like a normal comic than Cynthia Martin's cartoony style. So there's a little like the Hiromi, you can't help but you know whoever's inking, you know if there's two or three different inkers here. And I have to think judging by the cover, a lot of that has to do with what's his name, Ken Stacy. Yeah. Rather than Steve Lealoha who really gets her style, but then again, if you look at the opening cover, I'm a big fan of Steve Lealoha. Yeah, me too. Luke there, Luke there looks like Steve Lealoha drew him, his face especially. He's got a sort of Lealoha face. The way the pots and pans are just sort of hanging in space style, which makes me think maybe this might be a little mashup of like Lealoha and Cynthia Martin penciled it, and then Ken Stacy inked it. See, that's what I'm thinking too, because I... I think it's primarily the inks is what I'm not digging on. They're this. very they're very heavy inks which don't um they they cover her her style. Yeah. Very too thin m- lines seem to complement what she does. Yeah. There's too much black, too many thick lines, too many shadows. It's uh it's hard to define exactly what it is, but there's something in the inking that uh that's like overpowering her style and i just i don't it, it's rendered it very bland very yes, it's more very like kitty a comic. comic yeah yeah i really i just i really don't care for it this time yeah, around I, I think she was such a radical departure in style that maybe they freaked out a little bit and it could be tried tried to back it back it up a little bit but really they probably shouldn't have they should have gone with it cuz I think I, I still maintain she's one of the best artists on the on the on the series, and definitely one of the most unique artists on the series. Yeah, and it was kind of bold to have to to break into that style, and I liked it. And yeah, I. But that being said, I don't really mind the art in in this one. It was I wasn't going. Uh, I don't like how the toffs look. They look like something just out of a normal comic. But a lot of the other, you know, the Nagai and our and our main characters, they still have a, enough of that stylizedness. And to the other extreme, you got the Hiromi, who are a little too stylized. But yeah. Um. Otherwise, I just thought it was it was just kind of a lot of moving. It was a moving characters around issue. You know, it was. Getting getting this person out of this situation and then getting them into this situation and seeing how many of them we can get together. It was it wasn't really 
the comedy element of the Hiromi being cowardly but still rallying, you know, there's there's a lot of it's there's a whole element of side changing in here of people changing sides of den switching sides and there'll be more of that in the next issue which is really mm-hmm. weird. But um at the same time it doesn't really say anything about the characters of the situation. It's just sort of happening. You know, it's just sort of like, ah, here's a farce. You know, we'll throw in, we'll have the, the Toffs are being portrayed as being, you know, more sadistic than the Nagai. They're the predators of the Nagai. And they're, you know, Pliff makes mention several times that he's like looked into their mind and been like, yeah, <laughs> don't like that. So, and, you know, in the one episode issue, back there where they got a hold of the one the guy and tortured him pretty much sets them up as badasses and this one they're they're pretty badass right but, and but still since the guy have been set up as supposedly badass but now the the now the guy have almost been put into the like comedy level you know right. of incompetence the guy i like the guy i could see as a genuine new threat but after having faced, you know, Palpatine and Vader and the Empire and all that, the Toph? Really? Yeah. It's green, you know, Orion. Basically, there are Orion space pirates. Really? Yes. This, this is your new threat? I, I'm not feeling it, you know? Well, we already had Crimson Jack way it, back. It, yeah, so. exactly. That, that's what this feels like is you know, green Crimson Jack on a, on a slightly bigger scale or slightly yeah. smaller scale for that matter. Crimson These guys Jack, are using clubs. He navigated through a gamma ray field. <laughs> um, well, they're named in this, uh, in this issue. The Toffs are actually given a name. These are the guys that have been hinted at for several issues now as the uh, the natural predator of the Nagai. So we finally get their names. I could not remember it for the life of me, but that's because I, I think they suck, to be honest with you. Um, they come from outside our galaxy, which is the same thing with the Nagai. I'm not sure that we ever mentioned that before, but they do come from outside the galaxy, so they are an uh, extra galactical threat. This would become a recurring theme and something of a staple of EU um, enemies in Star Wars in the future. Uh, a lot of the, the, the threats post the Empire would be from outside the, the known Star Wars galaxy. Um, again, I, I hate to be so critical of this one, but it's just got to be said, I think this issue commits the cardinal sin of Star Wars stories in that it's boring. I just, I didn't dig it. I really was not keen on the art, and that's not a dig really at Cynthia Martin or Steve Lealoha. I, I hate to dump it all on Ken Stacy, but I think it does fall on him. I think the inks killed the the art in this. That and uh, and I'm not feeling the colors either. It's still got that damn like like day glow look or something. This really the looks colors like are it, beautiful. This issue compared to what we we got coming up. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. I got to say it gets weirder all the time, and it does. It, it feels <laughs> yeah. like an issue of. Of Colors seem to be a problem with Cynthia Martin. Yeah, that's that's the the main t- thing I've had to complain about in the art and the Cynthia Martin epi- episode issues has been the has been the coloring. And I and I don't know if because I mean Glenn, 
Glennis Oliver's been doing Star Wars coloring for quite a while, though. She she was doing it as Glennis Wayne right way back. So I don't know, you know, if they decided, well, you know, we're going for a different style. Let's go for more primary colors and solid colors and stuff. It ain't working. In the give credit where credit's due department, though, I have to point out, after having bitched about it so many times, I have to point this out. Luke finally utilizes both of his lightsabers when he uh, goes against the tops in this, and he kicks mm. their asses. I like this a lot. Yeah. There is a part, a portion of this I wanted to ask you about, though. Second panel, page 19. What is happening here? It looks yeah. like... Luke is raising up his lightsaber and blinding the Toffs. Is that what's going on right there? Second panel? Yeah, second panel, page 19. I don't know. That's what it looks like, cause it, it, but it doesn't look like the light's originating from his lightsaber. Yeah, I'm not... So maybe he did some sort of force push or oh, something? Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that but I don't know. That wasn't something that they might have thought of then. That's something that's more started in the prequels. So, that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't really understand that panel right Maybe there. maybe he's slashing them, but it, that just signifies his lightsabers flying all over the place and taking them out. Right. Yeah, Luke yeah, is really strangely drawn, and he's he's way too like skinny, scrawny looking. He looks funny to me. Um, lastly, I was just going to jump to the letters page real quick. There was uh, a letter in here uh, signed by Kevin Anderson from Rochester, Minnesota. And uh, last night I wrote to Kevin J. Anderson, the uh, famed Star Wars author, to ask him, hey, is this you, dude? Uh, turns out it is not, but he was amused by that. He was not aware of this. And uh, he thought that was very funny. He said, what a coincidence, which is true. What a coincidence, but it is not him. And uh, I wanted to read real quick. There was one letter in here that uh, I thought was really cool. This is from uh, Ben Zakheim from somewhere in New Mexico. Man, these... Tazook. Tazook. He says, Dear Stars, he says, No, this is not a letter of praise or criticism to uh, any issue or character. It is a letter of thanks. You have kept worlds alive for those of us who love them, even before George Lucas brought them to us. What I mean is that the universe he created and the one which you use so incredibly has been in the minds and imaginations of so many individuals, including myself. It took Lucas uh, time and effort to bring those dreams alive. And you Marvel comics are now establishing yourselves as the greatest magazine company in the world by keeping truly and from the heart. For I believe that all the hard work and the incredible load of responsibility, which goes along with that labor capable of keeping the faith of the Star Wars universe, you are owed congratulations. So there you have it. Uh, I have not praised any individual issue or character uh, and have not criticized uh, any misuses. I have simply thanked you, Marvel, for allowing the greatest feat of cinema to your Star Wars comic does. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it might be some butt kissery, but I, I get the feeling it's, it's from the heart, and uh, I couldn't agree more. For the most part, I have dug the hell out of uh, re-examining this uh, this series. Oh yeah, we've gotten five years of fun out of this. What are you <laughs> Absolutely, five extra years of fun. 
Well, we got anything else on 105? No, I'm good with that. I'm good with letting this one go. <laughs> we'll take a little break and uh, we'll come back with 106. Yes. All right. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I follow it! every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Oh, and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 51, continuing our coverage of Marvel Star Wars comics, this time with the next issue Number 106, the actual penultimate <laughs> Star Wars issue. And bringing you the synopsis will be Scott Gardner. Well, as the lady said, this is going to be a long one. And uh, I think you called it, man. I think we just don't want it to end. So <laughs> we're just dra- <laughs> excuse me, dragging it out at this point. <coughs> Pardon me. But, uh, yep. This is Star Wars number 106. This is the July 1986 cover dated issue. This was actually on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. This was on sale April 15th, 1986. So just mere days after my, what would this have been? My 18th birthday. Holy crap, that was a long time ago. Uh, Cover by Cynthia Martin and Joe Rubenstein. And this depicts Danny the Zeltron looking super hot, pointing her blaster, one of her blasters, directly at us, while uh, Leia also looking kind of smoking babish in the background. She's holding her blaster. And uh, I like this cover. I like this cover a whole lot. 
Uh, let's see here. We got Joe Duffy is the writer. Cynthia Martin does the layouts. Ken Stesey again with the uh, finishes. Now, this is a new name here, which I'm probably going to just mutilate. This is Dana Grazunius. Grazunius? I don't know. Is the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. And Nascenti editor. Or, I'm sorry, did I say letterer or editor? Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. And Nascenti is the editor. Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. This story is entitled My Hiromi. I think it'd be better if it was My Hiromi has a first name, but anyway. <laughs> We uh, pick up kind of, sort of, where we left off at the end of the last issue with the Hiromi screaming, yay, and patting themselves on the back for their victory over the Toph until uh, Luke suggests storming the main enemy ship, which uh, shuts the Hiromi raid up. Luke is eventually able to play on the Hiromi's vanity and sense of cultural pride to coerce them into assisting him and the Hujibs in invading the Toph stronghold. Meanwhile, aboard what is eventually revealed to be the said uh, Toph ship, although it sure as hell looks... It doesn't look like any ship interior I've ever seen. We find uh, Leia's Zeltron entourage, the uh, teenage Zeltron ninja boy band, rotting in prison. Bob, one of the group, he's been badly hurt he was injured uh, in the attack when the when the Toph took these guys prisoner. And the another one of the group, Marcus, he's still unconscious. Raul hatches a plan to get them out by attacking the guard who brings them dinner, that old standby ploy. But this time around, all it earns them is another beatdown, and they are punished with uh, two skipped meal periods. On Zeltros, Danny and Leia and some Hujibs set out to rescue Han Solo, Chewie, Lando, and uh, the Zeltron delegates. Danny spots Den, the uh, Nagai, at a distance and has to be talked down from picking him off with her blaster. She agrees to hold off from firing on him, at least for now. Back with Luke, he and Pliff are trying to extract some information from one of the captured Toph soldiers, but the man isn't talking. Luke threatens him with quote-unquote unpleasantness, but the guy just scoffs at him and tells Skywalker that he doesn't have the guts for that sort of thing, he can tell. Surprisingly, it's the Hiromi to the rescue, the little cockroach guys. They, uh, they pick up clubs and knives and swords and stuff, and they threaten to spill this guy's guts if he doesn't spill his guts, so he eventually does talk. So after they secure the uh, info from the guy that they need to attempt... To board the main Toph vessel, Luke, Pliff, and the Hiromi uh, take off in the Hiromi ship uh, to rescue Leia's little uh, group of Zeltron boys. In a scene that kind of reminds me a hell of a lot of uh, one of those early Theed City scenes in uh, The Phantom Menace, we've got Han, Lando, and Chewie, and the others. They're all marched out into this clearing where uh, first Den betrays his people to the Toph, and then the Toph are suddenly ambushed by unseen forces that are armed with blasters. Sensing that now is the time to act, Han and company overthrow their oppressors and win the day. Turns out it was, of course, uh, Leia and Donnie who uh, provided cover fire, and as Han reunites with his lady love, one of the Nagai... The, now it's the Nagai, this... This is the part I didn't understand. It's a Nagai actually lines up a shot 
on Han and, and his group, it should have been one of the Toffs, I thought, because they were the bigger bad guys in this story. Anyway, he lines up a shot, and he's going to shoot at one of our heroes. 3PO shouts a warning to them. Danny turns around to act, but it's actually Den that acts first, and uh, he comes to her rescue, killing one of his own kind to defend her. Elsewhere, Luke and the Hiromi approach uh, the massive top uh, spaceship, which is essentially a spacefaring galleon. Make of that what you will. The captured code works, and they enter into the enormous vessel, only to find themselves trapped and in need of further security clearance. So Luke uses the Force to intuit where to have the bug guys fire their main battery of weapons and carry a shot around the interior that eventually opens just the right hatch and allows them inside. Once landed, Luke dives down out of the ship and then hack slashes his way through the hangar bay, clearing a path for uh, the rest of the landing party. Luke, with much coaxing convinces the Hiromi to go on the hunt for the Zeltrons whilst he and Cliff take on another round of Toffs who uh, come into the hangar bay drawn by the sounds of battle. The Hujibs kill the power, uh, all but life support according to the dialogue, although the gravity still works. This is one of my sci-fi uh, story pet peeves is when they say, oh, we've lost all power, but nobody's floating around. That just drives me nuts. Anyway... And uh, the Hiromi, they eventually find and uh, free the Zeltron boys. Luke catches up and uh, says that they'd better hightail it out of there now because, uh, you know, the mere 15 or so of them aren't near enough to wage war against an entire galleon full of these green pirate guys. Oh, and uh, he happened to uh, set some explosives that are about to go off, so they best get moving. And that's pretty much where this issue leaves off. And we get a next issue box that reads, Old Friends and New Unite for the Final Chapter in Marvel's Continuing Adventures of Luke Skywalker, All Together Now. And, uh, yeah. A next. Beatles song title. Do you think yeah. they were referencing My Sharona at the beginning of this one? Hmm. Or My Baloney? My Baloney, I didn't think of that, but that's... <laughs> good i don't know i'm glad that you instantly thought of all together now because i have already been planning ahead for uh what the music is going to be for our final episode and you can bet your ass uh, that i have got your yellow submarine yep i am definitely going to use uh the beatles all together now for uh at least part of that episode so (laughs) what did you think of uh 106 I thought the art was worse. The color is just horrid, almost painful. Story-wise, it's pretty much on a par with the last episode or, you know, issue. You know what I mean? Just sort of getting people from here to there and resolving the situation. There's a little more action in here. There's some weirdness in here. Like, I, I, well, for one, there you get to see it the pirate ship, which is cool and cheesy at the same time. But what's, I get the feeling that this arch that they meet under and this big battle takes place. 
Is that an is I think that's a piece of architecture from Rome or something like that. Right, yeah. And they do this whole sort of weird thing to explain its presence where they're like, Oh yeah, what's this doing here? This does this looks like from some other total culture and it's a total earth design. Right. With earth people in it. And they're like, Oh well, you know, the 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 Zeltrons, you know, they have little places where they pay tribute to other civilizations. So are they like for one, it's a long time ago, so but it's it's weird. It's almost like they're sort of intimating that there might be some connection with Earth and the and the Zeltrons, which is just stupid and useless. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good point actually. Yeah, it does. And then the, and on on the same page where they introduce that, there's a which we haven't seen in in a Star Wars comic in a long time, but just an awkward R2D2 who looks like he's going to fall roll down those stairs. Did you see it's on page 10, I believe. Yeah, yeah I did see that. Blurp. Is <laughs> he's drunk. It's like the Pete Hesh <laughs> R2. <laughs> Blurp. They're underutilizing Han. Yeah, as a character. Lend, you know, we've 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 not had a lot of Han until Jedi came out. You'd think they'd be all over him, you know, and really prominently having him. But they're, you know, they're focusing a lot on Luke, which, yeah, you know, he's sort of the the star of the show. But yeah, you know, even though this is this has been sort of like ladies' night Star Wars for the last few, you'd think the ladies would want to trot out Han Solo as the. Well, Luke is the eligible bachelor, I guess, but still. I don't know. I yeah, there's 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 some parts with the color in this in the the stuff where it's just almost bordering on kitty comic. I don't know. I don't like this one as much as the last one, which I thought was okay. It's funny cuz I actually like this one better. <laughs> this one a little bit better, but I agree with you. I still there's something wrong with the art. The coloring is just bizarre. It, it, it's it's very akin to Charlton comics or something. It, it's too glow looking. Like the tenth time they re- reprinted the Gold Key Star War, Star Trek comics, and and that you would see them in like the dime stores when we were kids, and they were on those. They were like that glossy cardboard covers. Dynabrites. Dynabrites. The, the, these are colored like the insides of Dynabrite comics. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just like a few, like three or four colors just laid on. Yeah. I mean, now the tops are are yellow, and it's like they had the, the like the printers like we have some extra yellow paint. Can you guys put a <laughs> lot of yellow in the story or use it a lot? Because people's shadows are y- yellow, the light hitting them is yellow. There's just yellow everywhere in this comic and now the tops are went from green to bright yellow i don't get it yeah it 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 don't look good what bugged me here was that the story doesn't even pick up in the same place It, it like it's like it backs up a couple of minutes to where the the other one ended where the the hiromi are screaming yay that's the opening splash is them all screaming yay that they've won. And then it has them all backslapping each other and shaking hands and congratulating themselves that they took out the toss. 
Now, it shows the Toss all just laying around unconscious on the floor. But if you remember at the la- end of the last issue, they were all tied up. You know, they, right. they had conveniently tidied them all up. And then Luke, you know, congratulates them too and says, well, now you guys can help me, you know, stage an assault on the main ship. And we saw all this before, and they had a different reaction to what he said at the end of the last issue. So that kind of bugs me because I thought we were past this kind of thing in comics because this was something that was, you know, common in, in you know, older comics, you know, like, right. you know, maybe a decade before this. But by this time, we'd, we'd kind of gotten past this. All of the same creators were present from issue to issue. So there's really no excuse for why the scene is both a copy, but then inaccurate at the same time. That, that bugs me. That's just kind of sloppy. Well, this, this thing is full of contradictions. It's like the Toffs are these bad at, we invented unpleasantness and they scoff at the fact, at the idea of Luke torturing them. But when the incompetent cockroach people, who they should know are incompetent because they're world conquerors and they, you know, these guys are obvious clowns. All they have to do is gather around them and start going, talk, talk, talk. They don't even lay a hand on them. They don't even start to torture them. Okay, okay, I'm talking, I'm talking. Luke's got a lightsaber and has just kicked all their asses in front of this guy. And he's just like, whatever, torture me, I don't care. Right. Two cockroach buffoons show up and start gathering around him and doing the fuck, um, what is it, uh, the the Spanish Inquisition, uh, Inquisition from Monty Python, you right. know, like poking him with a pillow and putting him in the comfy chair and he <laughs> instantly starts spilling the beans. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> poking him with the soft cushions. Mm-hmm. Page four, and you know what? The pages are actually numbered. I love that. It's about damn time. Yeah, exactly. But page four, did you notice that Raul's hat, which I can't remember, has he been wearing this all along and I just noticed? It's Luke's old hat? It's Luke's old hat, yeah, from tattooing. I like that. That's actually cool. He looks good with that. Page six. There's really not any need for this. I'm kind of surprised I happened to note it, but on page six, very last panel... There's actually a meanwhile box at the bottom. It says while back on Zeltros. Mm-hmm. That actually should be at the top of the next page rather than yep. the end of this. But still, I mean, this is the first caption box we've seen in forever in this title. I think since she took over uh, Cynthia mm-hmm. Martin on the R's. So that's kind of weird. Oh, page seven, second panel. If you look at the lettering in Danny's word bubble... It looks like something got changed there. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what, but it does definitely look about halfway through her sentence, like all of a sudden somebody said, no, nah, let's have her say this instead. That's kind of kind of weird. Let me see what else we got. Page. They might have underplayed what he did to her because he just sort of turns around and goes, I'm on your side now in this. And right. he really calls him on it and goes, no, you're kind of a scumbag, you know? Right. Page nine, last panel, the Hiromi ship, it looks like Blue Beetle's bug. Or uh, mm-hmm. if, you ever, if you saw the Watchmen movie, Night Owl, it looks like Night mm-hmm. Owl's owl ship. But I thought that was actually kind of cool. Page 10, what that reminded me of, that temple thing, what it reminded me of is uh, that scene in Phantom Menace when they're on Naboo. 
mm-hmm. and they're being marched through the streets by the by the um, battle mm-hmm. droids, and then all of a sudden Qui Gon and Obi Wan attack. That's what that's reminded me of. It looks a lot like Feed, I thought. But uh, but you're right. I, I noticed once you said that, and you said about the the earthly influence. I got to really paying more attention to some of the background art and stuff. It looks like she wanted to draw that was drawing that cathedral and was wanted to work it in somehow. Well, remember, I can't remember what episode it was, but not long ago we did an issue where you and I both pointed out that there was a character in the background that looked like Buddha. In this All one, right. you look look in the first panel on page twelve and third panel of page fourteen. That thing that's in the background looks vaguely Christian somehow, like something from the Bible right. or something. You know what well, I there's, mean? There's lambs and goats on it and yeah. stuff. I'm, bet, I'm betting it's a real something from, like, Rome or, you know, yeah. it's a real piece of antiquity that she was drawing and was just really into drawing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too, because it does, because that it's figure it. at the top looks very Christ-like. And then, like you say, you've got bulls, lambs, and and lions mm-hmm. in the bottom of it, which are you know frequently referenced in the Bible. So and our uh, earth animals. <laughs> oh yes, that's true. Yeah, hadn't even thought about. That. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, we don't have. Uh, should be like lions, lions, tigers, and banthas or something. But yeah, well, you're right. Uh, well, yeah. Luckily, it's not banthas and womp rats like it always is. Right. Anywhere yeah, else, but you know. Usually, usually when they do something like have a goat, they give it an extra horn or a third eye or, you know, or a row of ridges down. It's something to make it look like a space lamb. These are just like <laughs> goats and stuff. <laughs> space lamb. Uh, Adventures of space lamb. Although the art's still not to my personal liking... Page 17, regardless, is pretty friggin' awesome. The ship lands, the tops come running, and Luke doesn't hesitate, man. The minute they touch down, he springs out of the hatch, and he just mops like the Like a real floor. Jedi. Yeah, I mean, he kicks their asses. I love it. And I like how they're like, oh, man, he he's deflecting our beams with this, you know. They, they're from another galaxy. They have no idea of anything about lightsabers. They're just like, oh, shit, this technology's badass here. Yep. And it's a very prequel-like scene, you know. It is. I really like this because on the one hand, you know, the, the what is it, the third panel here, because it's only four panels. It's really a nicely structured page. Mm-hmm. The third panel, he's doing that thing that he did all through Return of the Jedi, which made me nuts where all he did was wave his lightsaber at people, and they'd go, oh, you got me, Sheriff, and fall down dead. But mm-hmm. the other guy, he's actually burying the hilt of his lightsaber right or, you know, right, right up to the hilt, right in the guy, the middle of the guy's chest. So I like that. That that looks good. And come on, this, this hujib diving out of the ship, would that not break his legs? That's quite the fall. These hujibs, they, they get... They get the crap beat out of them. Yeah, they do, actually. And, and th- but they make sure to mention that none of them were really injured at one oh, point. Oh, do they mention so, that? Yeah, that one of them says something like, oh, none of us, you know, <laughs> none of us were killed or anything, you know, make sure that we're, it's, we're clear on that. It was like the A-team when there'd be a big gunfight and all the cars would crash and they'd <laughs> dump it in someone's voice going, you all right? Yeah, what about you? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> 
no hoojibs were the harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah, they were getting thrown across the room and exploding and stuff, but they're all fine. All right, the thing that did, I, I it's just got to be pointed out, drove me nuts in this one. Look at page 19, last panel. Okay. They're on a spaceship. Where, oh, where the oops. hell is this? It looks like they're in the queue of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride or something. It's, well, they're on the pirate spaceship. It looks like a pirate ship. But come on, that's a castle, dude. I know. It's a castle ship. It's a... Remember, <laughs> is it, yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. It I'm, is ridiculous. I, I think it's just dumb because it's too much like the the terrain they were just battling on. Right, yeah. I mean, there's nothing really to indicate to here. It. Ship. Because it didn't really occur to me until I was flipping back through this to start to write the synopsis that the scenes with the Zeltron boys in prison, that's a hole in the ground. Yet again, they're on a spaceship. <laughs> so that doesn't work at all. I mean, unless they've actually used rock work in the construction of their maybe spaceship. Maybe they have. Maybe they have. There's, I mean, this is, it seems to be stone. It's like it look, when they're on the docking bay, it looks like the Death Star mixed with the Flintstones. Pretty much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, it does. It definitely does. There's like a Bantha like running a treadmill to run at everything. It's a living. I uh, I can't deny it. Either I was living in denial or really not paying attention, but I missed entirely that... Uh, you might not have read that bottom thing I, when you I were may a kid. Not you, have. Might not have, you might have been just like, all right, next issue, you know, okay, this story's over, you know. Yeah. Or so. maybe I interpreted it differently, like, okay, well... Because it says Final Adventure and Marvel's Continuing Adventures of Luke. So maybe I thought, well, now they're going to focus on Leia or something. I don't know, I... But it's just bizarre that. Well, there remember it is. That when this came out, we were getting ready to graduate high school this and figuring true. out what we were going to do after high school and stuff. So there was a lot more going on than paying attention to Star Wars comics, you know. That's very true. That is very true. Like uh, I said, it wouldn't be long before you're in the military. You're on your way to the military, you know. Yeah, within a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. If you'll forgive me. There is one other letter I wanted to read here. I like this one a lot. This is from Melanie Rittenauer in Akron, Ohio. It says, Dear Warriors. Akron, city of rubber. <laughs> says, Ty uh, has to be one of the most touching stories I've ever read. You show Leia in this issue as a woman, not as a rebel commander that uh, she used to be. By all the laws of warfare, she should have taken Ty hostage and maybe saved his life but she chose instead to allow an enemy soldier to escape, thereby dooming him to die. Leia made the right choice, but Ty paid for it. The scene that touched me most was after uh, Leia released Ty's bonds and was going to wipe away his tears. It's nice to see that our friends are learning the lesson uh, once again that not all enemy is evil or totally cruel or heartless. Um... She says once again, but I'd, I would say this is really the first time they're learning that. Yeah, lesson. she's thinking Star Trek. Yeah. Um, it seems that they had uh, forgotten that since the end of the rebellion. One request, don't have Ty die. 
bring him back as a leader of a rebellion inside the Nagai. Oh, she's uh, there, a tie-dye in the guy. <laughs> the poet. There have to be others who have suffered wrongly at knife's hands. No dictator is ever safe. They actually responded. They said, it's interesting you aren't the first person to suggest that. As a matter of fact, there have been many suggestions uh, as to a leader of a uh, Nagai rebellion. Dan Siva seems pretty shocked on that last page, so who knows? We guess you'll just have to keep reading to find out. But uh, I like that much longer, though. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. Well, that's one of the things that uh, that I'm. I have to make a note to make sure that we discuss after 107 is what were the the plot lines we felt like maybe we're starting to go somewhere, but then never really get to pan out. Because I'm, I suspect. I can't remember if we get any sort of resolution with uh, with Dan and Danny or not, but I'm okay. starting to kind of sense a uh, a love connection there, but I'm not sure if that oh, goes. God, anywhere I hope not. not. Yeah, it's kind of weird. That would be too. What? That would be really creepy, and it doesn't seem like a woman would write that. <laughs> this is yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because I we we don't know exactly. I think a woman woman writer would fully realize how creepy that would be if Donnie decided that like he redeemed himself and that you know because he does love her in his psycho crazy way. Right. It did happen to save their lives, which is a bit of good luck, but still, you know, right? Still, probably should. She still probably should take his head off. <laughs> right. Give him a Michonne. Well, maybe she'll get, like, Space Helsinki's, uh, you know, syndrome. Exactly, yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I literally cannot remember where that goes, if it goes anywhere at all. But that is kind of... Stockholm yeah, Syndrome. Sto- that was it, Stockholm, yeah, that's right. But it, it, it kind of feels to me like, they're hinting at that because like you say he saved their lives a couple of times now he's definitely he's infatuated with her now she's still at a stage where she wants to kill him but you know as we've seen in other star wars expanded universe stories you know sometimes it'll start out where they're bitter enemies but then come together kind of thing so yeah but yeah it's a little twisted falling in love with your torturer though right (laughs) captured you and molested you this is true let's hope it doesn't go there for the last issue (laughs) but that's all I got on this one regrettably that's all I got too I guess it's time to move on that much closer to the end Let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Smash! 
Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number 10. This is the October 1983 issue. This was on sale, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, on July 5th, 1983. Original cover price was 60 cents. Cover on this one is by Howard Chaikin and Bob Wysek. And uh, this one's actually pretty cool, and this depicts... Indiana Jones, he's uh, playing wing walker here. He's actually holding on to uh, some of the wires uh, of a biplane, one of those seaplane things, while uh, Hovito Warrior is throwing a grappling hook at him, trying to, trying to, I don't know, take him out or knock him off or pull him towards hook him. his leg, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Now, I just have to point out that uh, the grapple is never used in this story. No. There, there is a similar scene to this, but he's not using a grapple when he does that. And in the picture here on the cover, Indy's hat's just blowing off of his head, but as we're going to see in this story, Indy loses his hat way earlier right. in this story inside. So, But it's a good cover. It's, it's a big a step up. cover, yeah. Yeah. I like this one. He still looks like... Uh, <laughs> He looks like a prize fighter or something. He's just got the steel face of, but it's Howard Chaykin. Yeah, know? but he looks like, uh, well, he looks like a typical Chaykin male. He doesn't really look so much like Indiana Jones as he looks. Again, he looks like the Shadow or James Bond or beefy faced guy. Yeah, yeah, American Flag or whatever that guy's name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the credits on this one, we've got Archie Goodwin uh, did the plot. David Michelini did uh, the script, Dan Reed pencils, Danny Bolanati inks, Joe Rezin letters, Bob Sharon colors, Louise Jones editor, Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. The story is entitled The Gold Goddess Chapter 2, Amazon Death Ride. Yeehaw! <laughs> Indiana Jones hangs off the side of a New York City skyscraper by his fingertips. Fingertips which are being stomped on by one pissed-off Evito warrior. Indy's piggies can't hold on much longer, but thankfully he is saved when the Indian takes a round to the chest and plummets to his doom far, far below. Who shot him? Why, Marion Ravenwood did, of course. She helps Indy up, but instead of doing the sensible thing and they all go back inside, Jones sets off in pursuit of the other Hovito. And I can't remember, is the other Hovito Zotek? Zoltek. 
because I can't remember how many of these guys there were. And I don't see a tattoo on this guy's face, so I can't tell if it's him or not. I couldn't tell if it was Zotek. Zoltek. <laughs> but uh, regardless, uh, he sees this other warrior, and the other warrior is on the ledge of another building, a nearby building. And he reached it by crossing this rickety ladder that's spanning between both of the skyscrapers. So Jones, throwing caution to the wind, barrels across, but doesn't quite make it before he is unceremoniously dumped off the ladder to his death. Jones plummets at least several stories, but against all odds and logic and physics and credibility... He survives. How, you ask, gentle listener? How in the hell could anyone survive a fall off a ladder between two towering skyscrapers to his doom? What miracle saved him? Well, if you'll shut up, I'll tell you. He was saved by... Wait for it. What was it? Grabbing hold of a flagpole. But realistically, I like how they kept, you know, it realistic and had both of his arms ripped out of their sockets. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is no way world that this would work. If he did manage to hit that pole, it would probably shatter every bone of body. Yeah, yeah. At the very least, he'd hit it. And after sustaining, like, life-threatening internal injuries, probably not being knocked senseless, if not outright killed, he'd just bounce off and continue to fall to his death. This depiction has him hitting the pole, and then it literally goes, boing, like one of those, like, uh, those cat play things on a spring, you know, how the cats can come up and just bat at him, and they'll, they'll bounce. It, it, that's what it looks like in this panel. And he's just like hugging it and holding on for dear life. And uh, I, I'm sorry, it's just it's a bridge too far for me. I can buy a hey. lot of hokey shit in my Indiana hey. Jones, but hey, man, I remember that one time Indiana Jones jumped eight thousand feet out of a plane, hit a mountaintop, rolled, did a shoulder roll all the way down the mountaintop and into a river and onto the rocks, and then walked away. That wasn't Indiana Jones, though. That was that was Randy's character in uh, in the Indiana Jones role playing game. I want to say he was playing Pete Hash, actually, but I can't be sure. <laughs> well, then I believe that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the art's pretty, but that's just unbelievable. I, I can't because I mean I tried to to figure out how many stories this was, but the art's not it's not defined enough to actually be able to count stories. But it's a hell of a drop. I I just can't buy it. So uh, anyway, he ain't dead. Uh, he is pissed off though, and he calls for Marion to find him some rope and haul his ass back up. So they eventually arrive back at Marcus's party sometime later, just in time to be uh, privy to a mysterious phone call uh, that Marcus answers. He receives this call from an unknown woman, informing them of where they can catch up with the idol, and requesting that Jones comes to get it alone. And uh, he does. So several days later. 
we see Endy getting dropped off along the Amazon and then hacking his way uh, through the uh, rainforest with a machete on his way to an opera house? Yeah, sure enough, he finds this opera house out in the middle of uh, the Amazon rainforest. I This is where the story started to lose me. But no, those are real. The, the, there's stuff like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're, 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 that's an actual. That's actually probably based on something that Michelini probably read somewhere. Because there's, there's, there's places like that in Vietnam. Ah, okay. The, the, you know, there was just a weird colonial period where we had companies in other countries, and they would build their houses there. So. Uh... He's about to go in and check this place out when Jovito's attack. And uh, he puts up a, a valiant struggle and everything, including, at one point, just mercilessly shooting the little bastards with his revolver. But eventually, numbers and a uh, poison-dipped spear in the ribs went out and Indy is rendered unconscious. He wakes up some time later to find himself prisoner of Zotek's partner, the mysterious blonde woman. And she identifies herself as Ilsa Tote. For some reason, the name Tote actually appears to mean something to Indiana Jones. Now, yes, exactly. I, I know that they met in Raiders, okay? But, all right, it's not they like... They formally introduced? Exactly. I don't know about yeah, that. Exactly. And it, it was, was a, more of that little goony guy that I got in the fight with in the bar, and oh, there he is again. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was really racking my brains for all of the interactions that they had in the movie, and I think when when you got just Indy and just Toe, I think that's their only scene together in the entire movie, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think he should remember this guy, and certainly not his name. And why... Why is every evil German woman named Ilsa in the <laughs> <Right>. comics, too? <laughs> so, you know, anyway, I can go along with a gag, I guess. And uh, Ilsa, apparently she's seen Die Hard with a Vengeance way too many times because this is all about avenging her big brother's death and causing, you know, some sort of grief to the U.S., it, there's some plot here involving the idol and using it to rally local tribes and then stemming the flow of rubber to America to hurt the war effort or some shit. I don't know. I, it was really honestly starting to lose me at this point. Um, I just I just want to see Indy, you know, fight these guys or whatever. But uh, first, they take him out into the jungle and they tie him up and they leave him all alone. You know, they, they leave him alone in the death trap all Batman style, right? And uh, so he can think his way out of it before alligators come to have him for lunch. Somehow he escapes this trap by literally res- uh, wrestling with an alligator. Uh, and he says he's, he once saw a man in Florida do this. So now I guess he knows how to do it, too. But I, I like that Florida was. It's that great superhero that Florida man. Florida man. <laughs> Florida man wrestles alligator. I, I can buy that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how wrestling the alligator gets him out of the trap. Uh, that was kind of vague to me, but, uh, you know, I mean, at the very least, it was one of those things where it's like, hmm, well, there's something you don't see every day. Indiana Jones wrestling an alligator. an alligator, yeah. Right. Yep. So, at her time. Yeah, we can check that one off the list now. So, 
he wrestles the alligator, and I guess this intimidates the other alligators into not attacking him. So then he hightails it through the jungle. It just discourages them. They're yeah. just like, yeah, why bother? <laughs> so he hightails it through the jungle, guided by his uh, archaeology sense, right to the seaplane that Ilsa and Zotek are boarding uh, for, I forget what reason. And the plane lifts off with Jones hanging onto one of the wings. And uh, afraid that he's going to damage the plane, Ilsa dispatches Zotek to take Indy out. And uh, the Indian tries to knock Indy off of the, the wing of the plane with Indy's own whip. But Jones is able to grab the end of the lash from the whip. And then he just snatches Zotek's ass right out of his seat where he falls and screams all the way to the ground. That part I liked. I thought that was pretty awesome. It's like that that um, Star Wars comic where Lando gets tossed out. It's almost the exact same <laughs> shot. Hey, you're right. You're right. So uh, now Ilsa, you know, she's all alone facing Indiana Jones. She's in a panic, so she puts the plane into a, a barrel roll to try to shake Jones off. But yeah, she, he holds on tight and he crawls his way all the way to the controls, and then he sabotages the plane. Uh, driving them into the water uh, where they hit and explode. So, of course, Indy's the only one to surface, idle in hand, and he makes his way to shore, wondering if Ilsa perished in the crash, and if not, how long it'll be before she returns to menace him once again. Depends on how popular of a character she is, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Off the top of my head... And, you know, with, uh, what, thir- literally 30 years between reads of this issue, I, or this series, rather, I have to say, I think this is the only time we see her, but, you know, time will tell. I I, I didn't look it up, and I can't remember, but I want to say this is it. But, uh, by the way... Solid episode, I thought, solid issue. Yeah. Nice art. As as usual, once again, it still hasn't taken that dive. I'm I'm starting to think that the dive art wise that this took was in my mind. <laughs> no, it's it's because coming. it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it won't, thankfully, it won't be next arc because next arc's one of my favorites actually, and we're back to. Um, oh Lord, I just completely blanked on his name. The dude that that was following Burn on on Superman. Ah, crap! I can't think of his name. I just completely blanked. But uh, he's a hell of an artist. We, we've seen him a couple of times in this title already. He comes back for one more story, uh, the Fourth Nail. I'll think of it. I, I just completely blanked. But after that, I'm I can't remember who the artist is. But I think the art. That's when the art takes a dip. I think this one took a bit of a dip in the story. I have to be honest. I, I hate to say that because you know, we just recently had uh, Michelini on the show. And he's a hell of a nice guy. And I really admire him as a writer and everything. But this story, despite the fact that I really liked that you know, he, he examined the whole idol going to Marrakesh thing and all that. It just it didn't it didn't really play out all that interestingly to me and I don't want to say that you ruined this for me Chris but ever since you pointed out wait a minute how the hell did these 
primitive screw heads get from the Amazon to New York City. That kind of took the piss out of the story for me. I was like, wait, you're right. I can't yeah, see Yeah, these, these guys, guys don't get in suits ever. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're walking around in their loincloths through the whole thing. Right. And I think they're actually written more sophisticated in this than I got the interpretation that they were in the in the in the movie because in the movie they in the movie they seemed to be they were malleable by um what's his name uh Forrestal right or not Forrestal um Forrestal is a spiked guy but you know what I mean R- they, they, Renee, the uh, French guy Rene yeah. um Belloc Belloc yeah you know and he and they're they're superstitious and easily manipulated and here they're like they're like central american freedom fighters or something you know that have a pretty good way with words they're not just like you bad man mr jones you die on stakes they're just like right expositioning out well that might just be uh zotek that's (laughs) like that but he might be the smart one of the bunch or something but still like you say i can't see these guys carrying you know, a roll of quarters around in their in their loincloths to ride the the subway, the subway from the know. airport to the to to New York City, right? right. <laughs> just don't see it, and then just wandering down the street in a group, you know. <laughs> hey, pizza! You know, <laughs> it is. It's ridiculous. But I mean, come on! In in Indiana Jones is is ridiculous. It's it's uh, it's. You know, it's it's Saturday matinee cliffhangers, right? So, uh, but at the same time, you're you're absolutely right. The, I I I don't think this is like a bad story. I just think it's like one of the weaker right. so far Michelini stories. Right. I've liked Michel, you know, and it must be tough. I mean, Indiana Jones movies. It's Spielberg has to make one after you know he has years in between them to come up with this. This is every month, and you got to come up with a whole handful of gags and set pieces, because to make it an Indiana Jones story. So you start wondering, you know, you start wondering if they, you know, I, what I would have done is I would have gotten all the writers together and been like, all right, what's everything this guy can fight? <laughs> what's every kind of you know obstacle he can negotiate? Gotten a list, and like you said with the alligators cross that one off the list yep because you you can't have the same you know rope bridge you know okay they've already done rope bridges twice i think yeah in the comics so far so i mean there's only uh, so so many pratt falls and vehicles you know and i'm sure there was a list of vehicles that they could have him commandeer and and pilot and navigate and terrains and everything so yeah, it's mix and match. So every once in a while, you... and uh, you know the way he got out of the trap, it made sense. He did a little like you didn't really describe it, and you, you sort of gave the cliff notes version of that scene. But before they staked him out in the ground, he like did a mad dash and dived into the bushes and waggled his hands around in the bushes so they were all wet and the the, the right yeah the they'd already put the leather straps on his hands to tie him up so he was like okay this will limber you know I'll be able to stretch the leather now that's a little bit of a stretch but 
okay, you know, it's Indiana Jones. You wouldn't have been able to get away with it in the movies because you wouldn't have been able to have his internal monologue explaining what's going on, but that's one of the advantages, I guess, to doing a comic of it. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm so, like, I end up enjoying these so much because I remember them being so awful. I don't like where they, like, have to bring back the sister of Toth and Toth, you know, uh, it's... It's it, yeah. you can come up with a new villain. They need, of course, they needed someone with a with an axe to grind. Uh, have um, Belloc be the, the Belloc sister, because there was somebody who had a rivalry with Jones. And I'll tell you what, Tote didn't even kill. Tote wasn't even killed by Indiana Jones. He melted. Right. He was killed by the Ark. Well, Indiana also... Jones to, Indiana Jones, if he would have had his way, would have taken the Ark, and Tote would have lived another day. And B, as Tote's sister, didn't she grow up with him picking on her and being a total sadistic asshole, probably? You know, <laughs> come on. It just, you know, it's just too, it's too pat. And really, she doesn't have a valid reason for revenge. Well, she and doesn't why have would... a valid reason for hooking up with the Hovitos, because other than the fact that the scene with the Hovitos and the, and the rest of the movie with with Toe in it are all in the same movie. Those don't have any connection to each other. There's right. no That's reason for made... Toe to connect, you know, with with the Hovito. That's com- two completely different plots, right. two completely well, different in artifacts movie, in the same movie. That's yeah. why it would have made more sense to have her be like Lisa Belloc or or Lisa, uh, yeah, yeah, or something like that. You know, because. At least she she could be like you know hey. This was originally you know my brother's statue, right? You know? So, yeah, that's just it. It, it none of, none of it makes sense except to move one <laughs> a character from one place to another, right? That said, though, there were some uh, some good, uh, you know, some good set pieces and some good uh, moments here. Because mm-hmm. the the three panel opener of this, I can't help but wonder if this might be some sort of subtle callback to Tarzan in New York and King Kong and Kong. Yeah, I loved when he bounces the the Hovito bounces off the building, similar to how we saw Kong bounce off it in uh, mm-hmm. in both the movie and the comic adaptation. Mm-hmm. And we'd see the same sort of thing in the uh, in the Shadow movie with Alec Baldwin, where Shiwan Khan makes that guy walk off the Empire State Building. He bounces like this too, so I like that. Uh, I like where I like at the very end when he jumps out of the plane and there's a shot of him like under the water. Yeah, it's just it's just a nice flowy, you know, rolling water and him swimming to the surface. It's just really nicely done. Indy loses his hat. Uh, stupid pages aren't numbered, but I liked him weeding his way through the jungle with a machete because that, again, you know, Michelini playing predictor here, that uh, that kind of predicts Temple of Doom. You know, one of the most famous images from Temple of Doom was that great poster image of Harrison Ford, you know, as Indy with the machete in one hand. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that that it kind of predicts that. But yeah, Indy, uh, he's constantly losing his hat. He's constantly getting his hat knocked off of his head and then not going back for it. So he has to be going through hats, 
you would think, rather than going back and recovering his hat at any point in the in these stories. So that's kind of interesting because in the movie series itself, other than the sub scene, I think the only other time he loses his hat is when uh, he's done fighting the the German on top of the tank, and he looks up to see he's going off the cliff, and the and the hat goes off his head. Yep. I think that's the only other time. Um. Oh, my curiosity got the better of me. Remember last time around, I was saying. I, I didn't say who this character was, uh, Tote's sister, but I hinted at her. And then I was wondering about, uh, there was an episode, I think it was the very first episode, if I'm not mistaken, of Indiana Jones in character. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a spinoff of Star Wars in character. Well, the first episode they did covered Tote. And I was wondering, did they talk about this sister? And my curiosity got the better of me, so I finally went and I listened to that episode it was really good. I enjoyed it very much. I highly recommend that show because it was a lot of fun. And they did mention it, that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of information about that character. But what was out there, they covered. And they did mention that in this comic series that uh, he was revealed to have a sister and everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. They're, they're very authoritative on their show. They, you know, they cover all angles. So I thought that was pretty neat that they mentioned this. A sister. (laughs) And we got some great ads in this one, too. Oh, the Power Man. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Coming soon by Bill Senkowitz is classic. I love that. Classic. I remember remember seeing that when it came out, because it's like that Bill Senkowitz. You know, this is straight up sort of comic-y for Bill Sequitz, but he's still got, like, one squinky eye. It's just <laughs> one great. squinky eye. Yeah. So he's pointing at us, the reader, and he says, the fist would tell you, uh, <laughs> the fist would tell you nice, but he ain't here. So listen and listen good. Either you come looking for me and the fist, or I'll come looking for you. And that could get real ugly. <laughs> That's a great ad. It is. I love Bill Sequitz. I just, I just, um, um, I don't know if I liked him or made friends with him on Facebook, but uh, every couple days he puts up a new piece of art or something that he's worked on, and man, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Beautiful paintings he's doing recently. Wasn't that ad one of the house ads that was in um, the the X-Men versus the Teen Titans one-shot? I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I there think, were a lot of good house ads in that one. Yeah, I think that was the first time I ever saw that house ad, which means that these books, they must be contemporaries then, I'm guessing. You know, out around the same time. I don't know. No, I don't, they couldn't have been because we were still in high school. And when, like, when I got my copy of X-Men Teen Titans, it was at that, that um, auction we went to with my dad. Right. So... Yeah, I don't know. But I remember like this being in there and there was another one that I remember was really Klaus Jansen-y. Yeah. Had his had his inks all over it. I have to get another copy of that. I don't have a copy of that anymore. I need to get a new copy because thankfully great uh, art in it. Oh yeah. Thankfully, you know, uh when I got mine signed recently by Claremont, you know, he just, you know, he just took it and signed the cover real quick and moved on to the next thing. But 
it wasn't until later that I realized I only have one copy of that left anymore. And apparently I sold my good copy instead of selling my, my one that was slightly defective. The, the centerfold in that is loose and pulls out of yeah, the, the book. Yeah, the centerfold likes to come out of it, yeah. out of that one, because it came out of mine when I originally had it. It yeah. seemed to be a flaw of, of it. That sucks. Because I used to have more than one copy. I have no. I think I must have sold the other one. I don't have it anymore. But yeah, that's a good book. Well, uh, just want to mention here. Oh, did you have anything else on this one? I'm sorry. Not I felt really. Like, felt like I bogarted the uh, the notes portion of this issue. Sorry about that. It's okay, man. It's okay. <laughs> I just want to mention next episode. Uh, there will be no Indiana Jones next episode. Nope. We are going to be focusing solely on uh, Star Wars 107 and uh, our retrospective on the series proper. But uh, And then at some point after that, we'll get back to Indiana Jones. Yeah, maybe Indy will get his own show when his comic ends, but next month it's going to be all Star Wars, baby. Yep. A bittersweet episode. Yeah. So what else we got? Anything? That's about all I got for this month. All right, guys, you know your assignment now. Uh, send in those cards and letters and postcards and uh, let us know what are your uh, what are your burning questions for those top threes, the things that you want to hear us rank and, and rate and that sort of thing. So write in, get those suggestions in quick because we're going to start plugging away at that uh, that special issue pretty soon because I or special episode rather because I imagine that's going to be a monster. So uh, I want to start yep. getting that baby whipped together pretty quick. Make sure that we're giving it proper coverage and all that sort of thing. Indeed. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks.
Soltec.